remain standing for the text this morning found in Romans 12. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them up to Romans 12 this morning. Before we get there, just a, a note as I'm singing the Psalms this morning, what great truths there are, the promises in these things. When the Apostle Paul was in one of the lowest parts of his ministry, ministering in Ephesus, where he would even declare that it was the beast of Ephesus, not meaning wild beasts, but literally metaphorically speaking about those dark places, the dark forces that were raging against him through flesh and blood, but it was really the, the principalities and the powers. And, and yet, what Paul did is he took the Psalms, in light of the crucified and resurrected Messiah, and he began his prayer life with the Psalms in that wonderful truth. And so the Apostle Paul, which was a Hebrew of Hebrews, well scripted in the Torah, knew the Psalms well, would then have this new understanding of what it was all about in the resurrected Christ. And so he was an apostle that taught us these things, and so we should apply them. I would encourage you, if you're not doing so already, take the Psalms and pray them in the morning and pray them in the evening and let the Psalms comfort you and let them promise you and let them show you the Savior and learn to feast upon the Lord through the Psalms. That apostle who learned those things is the one who the Spirit of God had us to pen the words that are before us, and he knew well by experience what the words before us come to mean. Romans 12, beginning at verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry, or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him to do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Our great God in heaven, who is the ruler over all of your creation, who directs it according to your perfect will, we come this day in the liberty that we have in this nation, in the freedom that we have in Christ, giving you thanks that we can be gathered here this day. And we thank you for the word before us that instructs us in the ways of righteousness. 
but it is the Word of God to us that we hear Your voice fellowshipping and communing with us even now. So quicken it with Your Holy Spirit that we would receive and hear God speaking to our hearts through His Holy Word and guide us to be glorified in our fellowship now as we worship in the preaching and receiving of Your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We've been considering the church in our morning messages and how appropriate it is to integrate the ordination of Jay to the office of deacon as we consider him right in the context of what we have already been going through. Last Lord's Day, we considered um, really a complementary passage to Romans 12 from, Hebrew, or from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and that was in the context of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how that relates to the body of Christ, even the giftings within the body. Here, I don't know if you caught it as I was reading it, but we are members not only in the body, but we are members one of another. And so as we see, the context last Lord's Day was given to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12, it was directed to that very specific, very local church. Certainly meant for a broader audience, but he was addressing the local church there. And what Paul was teaching them there in 1 Corinthians 12, that all of them there in that congregation were baptized of the Holy Spirit and placed as members into the body of Christ and had been given a spiritual endowment, a, a spiritual gift to minister to the body so that the whole body can be edified and grows. That's why we call the church a living organism, because it is a body. Certainly the body in 1 Corinthians 12 was, was a metaphor of the, from using the physical body and talking about the hands, the mouth, and the feet, and, but it is a living organism. And we are a part of the church of Jesus Christ, living members one of another, but also of those living members who are in heaven with Christ and with Christ Himself. We are all a part of this body. As members, we each have a spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit has given to each one in order to edify, that is the word that means to build up the church, to grow the church. This morning we're looking at one of those particular gifts, and that's the gift of the deacon. And it's closely associated with the gift, I think, listed here in verse 7, the gift of ministry. So he is speaking, and it says, as the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, has then appointed certain gifts according to the measure of faith, it's the Spirit that determines who's going to be doing what in the body, and yet he's been preparing that person all of his lifetime for that particular service. And as we have of the ministry, let us wait on our ministering. I think that is the verse that is relevant here this morning. And while I believe that many can have the gift of ministry, certainly ministry is something that we are all called to do, 
But one may actually have the gift of ministry, which really amplifies it or shows it in a greater measure, so much so that it becomes a very gift in the body. While I believe one may have the gift of the ministry without being ordained a deacon, I would be such more reluctant to assert that one could be a deacon without having this gift of the ministry. It would be in the same manner that I could believe that there could be other Christians that could have the gift of teaching, but I do not believe that an elder would be an elder if he did not have that gift of teaching. So this morning, in the context of this ordination service, we're going to consider this gift of service. The very term deacon is a word, the Greek word is diakonos. It's the exact same term that is often translated in the Scriptures as servant. It's also the same term in verse 7 as translated ministry. It has verbal forms that associate with this noun of servant and ministry that would be often translated serving or ministering. Now the term is a very broad term. I'm often asked, it's, it's not an infrequent question, well, what is a deacon and what does he do? I think it's a good question. But I think we need to see his office in somewhat of a broad form, and hopefully by the end of this morning we'll have a little bit better understanding. So let's consider the gift of ministering this morning, the gift of service. Now that term is very broad, ministry, service, servant, diakonos. It's scattered throughout all of the New Testament, and there is a sense in which we all function in this way, as a servant of God, in ministering to the needs of one another. But there's also a sense that it can be a gift of certain people in the body where the Spirit makes a very special application of this gift to particular people that He has called chosen, and gifted, and raised up. Let's look now briefly at the four uses of this particular term, diakonos, in the New Testament Scriptures. The first term I want to address, or the first occasion, or the first category, maybe that's the better word, of the term ministry, is it used in just a very mundane or a secular sense, if I can use that term here, Uh, in the non-technical sense, uh, of the word waiting on tables. The term ministry is just a simple secular use of waiting on tables. In fact, Luke 10 verse 40, it was used there of Martha. You remember the story of Martha. And Martha was cumbered about much serving. And that's our word. It did come to be used in Acts 6-1... Now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there rose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were being neglected in the daily ministration. That's the word, in the daily serving. The serving of tables, the waiting of tables. That would be a very physical, mundane use of the term. The second use of that term came to be used in a spiritual sense. 
And so the Scriptures take the physical way in which people are already used to this particular term being employed, and now it makes spiritual application of the same term. In fact, in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, and He Himself, that is Christ, when He ascended back on high, He gave gifts to the church. And He gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And it says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And there's the word, for the work of diakonos. So it's used of all believers. Every one of you have a ministry, a service. We have almost a Trinitarian formula regarding this in 1 Corinthians 12. I didn't make note of that last Lord's Day, and and I actually felt a little guilty that I, I didn't start the reading where I did. Uh, I think I started in verse 6, but it should have started back in verse 4. Let me just read that once to you again, and let's see if you can hear the Trinity going on in these three passages that are somewhat parallel. Verse 4, there are a diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but... It is the same God who works all in all. You see that? The term ministries given by the Lord in that fifth verse there is associated along with the gift of the Spirit given in the previous verse and the activities of God the Father in the following verse. All of which carry a synonymous characteristic He refers to these spiritual gifts that every believer has in the body as ministry. The ministry of the Lord. And then he takes that and he shares with that that these are activities of God the Father. You can almost see the economic trinity, the outworking of God in the three persons of God at work in their roles. But he is suggesting here, or he's actually informing us here, that the work of God in the three persons is working in you and through you to do of His good pleasure. When you see ministry going on in the church, when you're seeing the, the work and the activity of God among the body, you can rest assured that God is present and God is doing that work. He's using human agencies to do His profound work. And that's why we have this eternal treasure in these earthen bodies. And that really is an astounding thing. So when you see ministry going on in the church, it's really an activity of God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the ministry of the Lord Himself working through His people. That's why Paul could say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Folks, you are an agent of divine providence, willingly yielding yourself to accomplish His work here upon the earth, and your work will not fail. That should be an encouragement for us. That's why Paul says in the Philippian 
epistle, for it is God that works both in you to do of his good will in his good pleasure. And he says, now work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but do all things without murmuring and complaining. All that's right there in the same context. I think that applies to us. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. As he works in you and through you to do of his goodwill and pleasure, but know that it is the activity of God himself in the very presence of his church that is working. So the scripture uses this common or this secular word that we are already familiar with, or let's just say that we as a first century Jew would be already familiar with, this serving, this waiting on tables, this ministry in this kind of mundane sense, and now he's going to take it into the spiritual realm. But the spiritual and the physical are not in contrast with one another. It's not, these are, so often I come into the place where people make this antithesis between the physical and the spiritual. And that's why we looked at two Lord's Days ago, the physicality of the church. Spiritual, yes. Physical, but yes. There is a way in that we look in the Hebrew poetry in the, in the, in the Psalms. We talk about how we interpret the Psalms. And I think as we think about the Psalms and the Proverbs and Hebrew uh, poetry, we hear of parallelisms, parallelisms, and there's a hermeneutic that I think it behooves us to understand, and so we often read a proverb, and we can hear of a proverb, you know, the wise man, but, and then it has an adversative thing, but the fool, right? And we would call that a, a parallelism of contrast or an opposition, there's other names for it, but it, it gives one particular line and it contrasts it with its opposite. There are different kinds of parallel, parallelisms, but one that we refer to is called a synthetic parallelism. And that means it extends the thought. It, it says one thing in one line, and then it goes on in another line right after it, and it extends the thought broader or perhaps even narrower than what the original thought did to give a greater meaning to it. Now, I'm not inserting Hebrew parallelism in terms of this particular word ministry here, but I think there's an application that could help us. As we think of a word such as a mundane word, a very common as service or ministry, serving tables, and it really is the word for a servant serving a master. And as we think about that term, and then the spiritual application of it comes into that synthetic. In other words, we have the one way that we think about it, and now there's an extension of thought in terms of how that service is now applied in a broader way, and in a spiritual way. Still encompassing the physical realm, but now applying it even in the spiritual realm. So we have a, a mundane sense of the word. We see how that came to be used in the spiritual realm of all believers. But then third, we have a category of ministry of differing kinds of functions and one specifically that refers to ministers, which is now narrowing it in a more narrow manner of the Scripture. 
In other words, there is a term of the word servant here that is not referred in the Scripture to everybody. It narrows an application, and more specifically, and in some of those contexts, it's used specifically of men that is called of God and gifted with a specific kind of ministry. We see this in Acts 1.17. The use of the ministry there refers to the apostle. It's a very specific type of calling. And Paul uses this term referring to that particular kind of functioning of that gift within the body of which are called ministers. It's not an uncommon thing today when you see ordained ministers that you refer to them as ministers, but it's coming from the narrower sense of this word, which generally means to serve. That's why in Acts 6-4, Luke was saying that there are those who are given specifically to minister the word in prayer, and those were the apostles. Now, pastors and elders and bishops, all of which I believe are synonymous for the same office, apostles, they all have gift of ministry. And so the Bible does use this term minister in some places to designate those specific ordained, called, and gifted men of God to serve in the capacity of the word and sacraments. But fourth, the Spirit also employs this word ministry designated to manual gifts in contrast to the verbal gifts. If you have your Bibles, I want you to see this from 1 Peter chapter 4. And if you would turn over to 1 Peter 4, I've referred to this in the past, but I think it's notable to, to see it with fresh eyes again today. And I think it'll help us. I think it'll help us to understand the role of the deacon, the role of the elder. In 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 10, the scripture says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. Now, that last phrase, let him minister with the ability that God supplies, let him do it with the physical strength that God supplies him. Now, we're going to see in those two aspects here, two kinds of ministers. The minister is a servant. And the first is a ministry of the verbal gifts, verse 11. And the second part of verse 11 is the ministry of the manual gifts. And I think those come alongside each other. In the last sense, where we think about if one ministers, I think this is a manual gift that comes alongside of the verbal gift to make it more effective and to keep it from the distraction of the other affairs of ministry. 
So what we see here is a delineation of men who are gifted with ministry, with service. Some are called with that verbal gift, the ministry of the Word, while others are gifted and called to manual gift, and that is addressing more of the physical needs. Now, if you will, if you will allow me to enter into a metaphorical language, and let's consider the church as a person. After all, Galatians does call her the mother of us all. It does call her in Ephesians 5, the bride of Christ, and we see in Revelation 21 that it is the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem. So there is a person. I want to take that metaphor and think about it with a way that might be able to be helpful to us. If we think about a person as having a body and a spirit, God has given gifts that pertain primarily to those two aspects of which makes her up, body and spirit. Deacons would be the primary ministry for the service of the physical needs of the church, the body, the, the manual gift, while elders are primarily the ministry to the spiritual aspect of the church, to her spirit. And because there is an inseparable characteristic in all of us between body and spirit, there will always be some overlap, but I think it is helpful to recognize the differences of the two roles that these two official ministers play in the body of Christ. In fact, in Acts 6, we see this manual ministry coming alongside of the verbal ministry because there was a tension that existed there. Disciples were multiplying, and we had the primary gift of the verbal ministry that was going forward. And now, all of a sudden, we have the, the, those who are, are ministering with the verbal gifts doing double duty in order to function in both the categories of the spiritual, or, or let's just say the verbal and the manual. So the ministers who were dedicated to the ministry of word and prayer were being encumbered about with a lot of the manual ministry of serving the tables to the widows. And they said in verse 2, it's not desirable, that is, it's not pleasing to God, and we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So there was even an endanger of the truth being hindered because the men were so saturated with the manual care of the church. Meaning that they felt that the manual care of the church was very important. So they said, choose seven men of high qualification. They delineated qualifications there in Acts 6. We see them once again reiterated uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And then when the men were chosen and ordained in this manual gifting, the Word of God increased. And the verbal gifts were able to minister then without distraction because the manual gifts came alongside and that's where I think we see it in 1 Peter 4.11. The oracles of God, ministry to ministering, coming alongside 
And so if your gifts fall primarily in the manual area, that should be your desire to come alongside the verbal gifts. In the term we've been considering ministry, the word diakonos is the same root, it's actually the same word as deacon. Context will have to tell us. This gift became an official office in the church, and people who distinguish themselves in a wonderful way, as we have seen even many of you do. Do you know, do you know how absolutely blessed we are to have men that are qualified and who are already serving? There are churches in the world today that in this generation will not have any men qualified for ministry from the get-go. I was talking to a pastor several years back, and he was uh, telling me a story of a missionary. They support a lot of missionaries over the world, and his missionaries will often come back home on furlough, and and they uh, are a bit discouraged And they will share with them, we have no eligible, qualified men for the ministry. All of our men have multiple wives. They're ministering in a place that the gospel's never been before. They're ministering to these tribal lands, and it's a custom there that the men marry uh, more than one wife. And of course, we know the qualification for both an elder and a deacon. They must be a one-womaned man. And so the encouragement that my friend gave to the missionaries is, yes, you still love them, you still use the gifts that they bring to the church, but you work with the children because in their sons is the hope for the ministry. There's a multi-generational thinking there for you that we have to be very busy about seeing a new generation rise up in their qualifications, even cultivating those things before the glory of God. So here we have, when Paul writes to the Philippian church, he opens up his epistle by addressing these two offices of service when he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. The ministry, the verbal ministry of gifts, and the manual ministry of gifts. Officially made. And so while the deacons are those with official capacity to minister, the gift of the ministry is certainly not limited to deacons. Other folks in the church can certainly have this gift, and I think some of you do. Ladies can have the gift of ministry, and I think Phoebe certainly did. But we see here in Romans 12, we are all to give ourselves as a living sacrifice and using the ministry and the gifts that God has given us within the body and by extension of the body out into the world. Now verse 7 in Romans 12, back in that passage there, will be brief to finish this out, but it's, it's a bit awkward. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. What does that awkward phrase mean? And let me give you two aspects of what encompasses in that particular phrase. There's two parts of it. Number one, the person 
is supposed to be ministering in the sphere of which he was called. There's a preposition there, the word in, that reflects the very sphere of the ministry. Attend to that area. This is part of soberly assessing our ministry, our sphere in which our gift is being used and exercised. You want to be in that sphere. You want to be used according to how God has gifted you and minister in that way. Don't try to be a hand when God's made you a foot, as Paul would say in a metaphorical sense in 1 Corinthians 12. And that's why it's important to understand what areas he's primarily dedicated to. But there's a second part of the meaning of that verse, and that means to be absorbed in it. In our serving, give yourself wholeheartedly to it. As Paul closes that epistle to the Corinthians in chapter 16, verse 15, he says, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Devoted. Addicted to ministry. That's the idea. Be absorbed in it. When people are truly absorbed in their sphere of ministry, it complements and it aids all the other spheres of ministry. When these manual gifts excel, the verbal gifts will excel also. When they're not absorbed in their sphere of ministry, it'll become a burden to all. The verbal and the manual gifts complement each other, and they need each other, and we as the church need all of the gifts complementing each other. I've mentioned to you before an illustration that took place, oh, I guess a little over 120, 150 years ago, during the time of Mendelssohn. Mendelssohn comes to um, London. And he goes to St. Paul's Cathedral, and he was invited to play the organ postlude, though they didn't call it that at the time. That was a time when organs were a little different. No longer were they plugged into the wall and powered by electricity. Uh, These were the days of the grand pipe organ, and pipe organs did not have electricity, but they had bellows, and the bellows then had those who pumped the bellows. There's a technical name for that person. I don't remember what they're called, but they were up in the organ loft and there were several men who then stood upon these bellows and they just pumped it left and right, blowing the air, supporting the pipes in which would then fill the cathedral with the beautiful sound that Mendelssohn began playing. He began to play Bach's great organ fugue in A minor This was the time that was the indication for the people to get up and leave the worship service. It was over. It was kind of like their marching music. Unlike sometimes what we do, we stick around and listen to the postlude. This was their time to leave. Well, he was well into the fugue, and the people, rather than leaving stayed there somewhat mesmerized as they heard Mendelssohn playing this tremendous piece of Bach 
in this tremendous building, and then the vergers, and those were the helpers of the bishops and the elders, and, but they were the ones who were in charge of locking up the building. It's kind of like our HRT, after we have a, a big shindig here, and we have a lot of guests and visitors from, that are not part of the membership, and, and they feel compelled that they need to stay around for the protection of the good of the people until everybody leaves. Well, the vergers were in charge of the building, and they grew somewhat irritated that the people were not leaving. So what they did is they went up to where the organ blowers were doing their business, and they simply stopped the organ guys from pumping the bellows, and the music just kind of sank the wind right out of the pipes, much to the frustration of Mendelssohn. But that did have its mark, and the people, of course, then left. But see, the musician, Mendelssohn, who was playing the organ, was completely dependent upon those manual servants up in the organ loft pumping the bellows so that the music could go and the people could be edified. And when they stopped doing their work, the organ stopped producing its sound. Mendelssohn could play all he wanted, but it wasn't doing anything, and the people left. I think it's a good illustration to think about how the manual gifts come alongside the verbal gifts to edify the entire body. Because it is very disappointing when all the gifts do not perform their function within the body because it really hinders all of us. All of us. All of you. When the disciples were arguing about who would be the greatest and who would sit on Jesus' side in the kingdom, Jesus taught them that the greatest of you will be your servant. They didn't get it. So what Jesus did in the upper room, the very first thing he did is he took a towel and he began to wash the disciples' feet. A menial task. And yet... As we see a rabbi with his students, the teacher with all the disciples that are following, it was understood in that day that the disciples would do any task of a household slave for their master except one, and that was to wash their feet. And here Jesus, the rabbi, takes the towel and begins to wash the disciples' feet. I don't, I don't think we understand how shocking that would have been and, and why we can now understand why Peter said, oh, not so. And Jesus says, yes, so. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Ministry in my kingdom is about serving. Serving the head by serving the body. Serving God and serving the church. So whatever your ministry in the church, be addicted to it. Minister within that sphere and fill it up. As Paul was closing Colossians, he says, And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry 
to which you have received in the Lord and fulfill it. Fill it up. Fill up that ministry. Just be addicted to it and let the Scripture or let the Spirit empower you to keep pumping those bellows or, or to keep playing the keyboard or to keep doing whatever you do. Fulfill it. We are ordaining a man this morning who has been filling up ministry in the church. We recognize that. And now we ordain him an officer, a leader of that manual ministry. He will be a leader of the servitude in the church. And we thank God for the gifts of service, whether they be verbal, whether they be manual, whether they be faith, whether they be ruling, whether they be prophecy, whatever it is, we thank God for what He has given to this body in Christ and for qualified men to be able to stand and serve in these official capacities. Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank You for the gifts that You have given to us, Your people, to the church, and unto men. We thank You for the gifts of the church that you have given by the Holy Spirit as you've appointed each member here in his specific area of ministry. And we're thankful for Jay, for his family, for the calling and for the equipping and for the gifting to serve in this official capacity. And Lord, as we look out upon this congregation, we are very hopeful that there are many others here, including our children, that will rise up and fill the role that you have assigned to them. Lord, how thankful we are, and we ask that you would encourage us all this day as we continue to acknowledge the good things you've done in our midst. And so we ask the Holy Spirit to attend all these things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.